Hey, we're in our series, Fight or Flight. Everybody say, Fight or Flight. On your bulletin, there's a little tear-off piece on the back. You can tear it off to take notes. And on the top, there's a scripture. The theme scripture for this month is 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. And this is what Paul told Timothy. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Everybody say, fight the good fight. Paul wasn't talking to Timothy about a physical fight. He was talking about a spiritual fight. You know, I want to welcome all the Victory kids. We're so glad to have the Victory boys and girls, kids that are usually upstairs. They're downstairs with us today. Can we give all the kids a big hand being in church with family today, with your mom, with your dad, parents? Thank you for having them with you today. It's going to be a fun family service. And um, we're continuing the, the fight or flight series. So why don't we stand up on our feet? We're going to say a confession. If you're new to Victory, we say a confession every week. It's a declaration saying, God, you're not done with me. God, you want to speak to me today. We're going to put the confession on the screen. You can say it with us. Also, tonight, we're going to have that great movie night in your bulletin. Lots of cool things happening this week. One thing, tomorrow night, we've got a preparedness seminar with Dr. Paul Williams. It's going to be right here at 7 p.m., getting ready for days ahead. And so all the info you need for that event is on the bulletin. Great things happening this week, so make sure you check that out. Are you ready to say the confession? All right, let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. God, we thank you for victory. Thank you for joy. Thank you for peace. God, we thank you this morning. You're going to speak to us. Challenge us, God. Renew us. Lord, we thank you for revival in our nation. Revival, God, in the men of God in our nation rising up. That men, this is their hour to rise up to the calling you have on their life. God, we pray for the church in Charleston. We pray for all the family members affected by the tragedy in Charleston. God, we pray for comfort and peace. God, we thank you. You surround them like a shield. God, I thank you for their example of forgiveness that they set, God. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you are restoring, God, reconciling. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you are bringing peace to our nation. And God, today, I thank you as we listen to this message, as we're all tuned in, God, that you would stir up in our heart what we're called to do, how to spiritually fight the good fight of faith. And God, I thank you we would be ready, prepared, God, to defeat the enemy that's coming against us. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Give someone a high five. Say fight or flight. Fight or flight. So Friday morning at 4 a.m., my wife comes and wakes me up out of bed, and she grabs me and says, this baby is coming today. And I said, okay. And I jumped into the shower to start getting ready. And she walked over to the shower, and she said, what are you doing? We got to go to the hospital. I said, well, we can't leave Liam here by himself. We got to call your parents to get here. She's like... That's right. So her parents are coming, and uh, praise God, I was out of the shower, ready to go, and her parents got there. We started rushing to the hospital. We get to the hospital, and, you know, Ashley's trying to calm me down. Just breathe, Paul. Just breathe. Okay. I can do this. I got this. This ain't my first rodeo. All right. So 
I'm calmed down and the nurse looks at Ashley and says, listen, you're not ready to have this baby yet. You guys could go home, come back later today or tomorrow. You're not dilated to where you need to be dilated for the baby to come, whatever that means, I don't know. And Ashley looks at the nurse and says, I'm having the baby today. It's coming today. We're not leaving the hospital. Whatever I have to do for this baby to come. She was determined. You got to be determined no matter what you're going against. So she looks at that nurse. What do I got to do? The nurse says, all right, why don't you start walking around the hospital? This whole last week, we were ready for the baby to come, and we had kind of been waiting for it. We uh, decided not to know what the gender was, so we were anxious, ready to be surprised. And uh, long story short, here we were, and, 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 and the nurse said, you can walk around the halls here. We had already been walking all week long. We had walked around the neighborhood several times and just kind of doing whatever we need to do to get the baby to come. And uh, so the nurse says, why don't you sit here for a second before you walk the halls? I need you to fill some papers out. Ashley says, Paul, it's okay right now if you need to just lean your head back. So I did, and I fell asleep. And two hours later, after Ashley had been walking the halls with her mom, she said, this baby is coming now. Her water broke, praise God. And then two hours after that, she was like ready. The baby was coming, and she's like squeezing my hand on the side. And I wanted to say, like, this is kind of painful. <laughs> but you don't say that to a woman who's in childbirth, labor, because it's a lot more painful. So I kind of held my comment to myself. And that baby came out, and we were so surprised it was a boy. We were excited. Our second little guy was here. But I was thinking about what Ashley went through and just how she had to walk around those halls. And, and this whole week long, the story I've been thinking about for our series has been the story of Joshua. See, the first week of the series, we talked about David. The second week, we talked about Gideon. And this week, we're going to talk about Joshua. We're looking at fighters in the Bible who had a fight, a battle that they had to win. The truth is everyone in this room is facing a battle. You are in a fight. Whether you know it or not, as kids, as adults, teenagers, we are all in a fight. So let's go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. We're going to learn from Joshua how he fought his fight of faith. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan River, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. You know, I just realized Ashley's watching online right now. Hey, babe, sorry I told the story. We're going to talk later about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think about how Joshua, uh, Joshua had to rise up. Here he had been following Moses his whole life. Moses was a great leader, the greatest leader that had lived in Israel uh, up until that time. And now it was Joshua's turn. And God said, Joshua, your predecessor, your mentor, your spiritual father, he's passed on. It's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to become the father I've called you to be to these people. It's time for you to go and take these people into the promised land. Joshua was getting ready to fight the biggest fight he had ever fought. Joshua was getting ready to face the most difficult uh, army he would ever face. Now, here's what I want you to see. Go to Joshua chapter 6, just a few pages over. And uh, in my Bible, it's page 304. I don't know what page it is in yours, but Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Now Jericho, this was the first battle Joshua would fight. Jericho, the battle at Jericho. Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel were there. I think that's interesting. I've never thought about it until I read it this past week. Jericho got more secure when they found out Israel was coming to their walls. 
They got scared. See, the devil is desperate to stop you when he finds out you're showing up to the fight. The devil gets desperate. He starts doing everything he knows to do to try and defeat you from winning the fight. You just got to show up. You just got to show up. Watch what happens next. Uh, No one was going in. No one was going out. And the Lord says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. God was speaking in past tense. He was saying, I've already given this to you. Now, Joshua hadn't even fought the fight. He hadn't even gone around the walls of Jericho. He hadn't taken the land. But God says, I want you to see in here, you've already won this fight. See, you're in a fixed fight, church. God's already seen the victory ahead for you. He's, ar- he's way ahead of you. He already knows what's going to happen. In, in our world, there's an international uh, timeline. When you cross a certain area, uh, it goes in tomorrow. While if you're in Australia, you're in tomorrow of what America is in today. They're 12 hours ahead of us. God is way ahead of you. He already knows what tomorrow holds. And he says, see, I've already given you the victory for whatever you're facing. I've already shown you. I'm bringing you through this. You might think you're going to lose, but God says, you're in a fixed fight. And this is what he says. You're going to take these men, go to verse 3, and you're going to march around the city like Ashley was marching around the hospital. All you men of war, you shall go around the city once, but you will do this six days. In verse 4, he says this. Seven priests will bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you will march around the city seven times. Everybody say seven. Seven in the Bible equals completion. Seven means a completed thought, a completed thing. And he says, on the seventh day, you'll march seven times in verse five. You'll blow the trumpets and it will come to pass when they make the blast from the horn and you hear the sound of the trumpet and all the people shout with a great shout that the wall of the city will fall down flat. I got two questions for you this morning. Number one, what is your Jericho? What is your Jericho. See, all of us have a Jericho. For Joshua, Jericho symbolized a dream that had been promised to his ancestors 400 years before this moment. God told Abraham in the, in the middle of Genesis, Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you into a spacious territory. I'm going to bring your people Israel into a great land. You will be a nation. And yet, Abraham wasn't the one to take them in. People thought maybe it's going to be Moses a few hundred years later. Moses would bring them in, but Moses wasn't the right guy. God was waiting for Joshua to take them in, and it began with Jericho. See, God has been waiting for you to come on this earth for such a time as this because he's got a fight for you to win. He's been preparing you. Even in your mother's womb, God was forming you for the fight you would have to fight. And all of us in this room are fighting a fight. The person next to you is in a fight for their faith. I wanna just show you a few fights people might be facing today, some Jerichos that people are believing for. Some people are fighting unemployment in this room today, fighting to get hired, fighting to get some work just to provide bread on the table. Some people are fighting against persecution in the workplace, just fighting to still be a Christian where they work. Some people in this room are, are fighting to just stay encouraged because you're surrounded by a toxic environment with just discouragement. Some of you are fighting an addiction, a lifestyle that you know God has called you to walk in victory over and you're fighting to just overcome it. Some of you are fighting to raise your kids fighting to raise your teenager, fighting to get them to go to church, fighting to help them understand the word of God. Some of you are fighting for your marriage. 
fighting for your family, fighting to bring your family together, fighting for healing in, in this room. People are fighting against cancer, against leukemia. People are fighting that wheelchair, fighting to be healed of whatever sickness has come against you. And I got good news for you today. God says there's victory in your future. Whatever you're fighting against, there's victory in your future. But you're Jericho. A thousand years after Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jesus himself walked down the streets of Jericho. And he came across two blind men who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. They were blind. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? Well, that's a ridiculous question to ask to two blind men that are obviously blind. And yet Jesus wanted them to verbalize their Jericho. I want you to say what you want. What can I do for you? What do you want? They said, we want to see. For someone in this room, your Jericho is to see. For someone in this room, your Jericho is to go through college and graduate debt-free. For someone in this room, your Jericho is to put your kids through Victory Christian School. For someone in this room, your Jericho is to have healing in your marriage. For someone in this room, your Jericho is to be healed physically in your body. For someone in this room, there's a mom in this room, a wife in this room, your Jericho is to see your husband set free from whatever addiction he's walking through. There's, there's a Jericho in your life, a dream, a business, an idea, a plan, something God's put inside you, and that's your Jericho. But here's the second question. What wall is standing between you and Jericho. What wall stands? Because for Joshua, this wall was huge. Most people think there was only one wall, but there was actually two walls. There was a small 15-foot retaining wall on the, on the base level of the ground. Then there was 46 feet hill from that wall, and then another 26-foot tall wall. Both walls were six feet thick. So here Joshua was looking up at this massive wall that was between him and his promise. What stands between you and your miracle? What stands between you and your breakthrough? What wall is there? Most times we're looking at the big wall. We've got our eyes on that big wall. Of God, if you would just bring down that big wall, then I could see my Jericho. Then I would be free. Then I would walk in victory. Then I could finally win this fight. And God says, before I bring down the walls out here, I need to bring down the walls in here. See, the small wall is often overlooked. The small wall is often forgotten about because we're looking at out here and God's saying, there's a wall of complacency in your own heart. There's a wall of pride in your own life. There's a wall of unforgiveness towards your spouse in your heart. You want the wall out here to come down and God's saying, I can't bring it down out here until I bring the small one down in here. What walls are between you and your breakthrough? Could it be lust? Could it be an addiction? Could it be pride? Could it be fear, worry, anxiety, stress? Maybe exhaustion. Maybe there's something that's holding you back from seeing your breakthrough and God says today, it's time for the walls to fall down. So Joshua, he was gonna have to face these walls. In fact, between Joshua chapter one and Joshua chapter six, there were some things that Joshua did in order to win his fight. Today, I wanna give you three things Joshua did. Are you ready for this? Three things Joshua did in order to win his fight. Number one, Joshua had to realize, you've got what it takes. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got what it takes. You got what it takes. I love how in Joshua chapter one, God affirms Joshua so much. 
Because Joshua was the son of Nun. His father's name was actually Nun. The interesting thing was we don't see any mention of his father speaking into his life. Joshua needed someone to affirm him. Joshua needed someone to come up behind him and say, you got what it takes. You can do this, Joshua. I know you were looking at Moses your whole life and you knew he had what it took, but now it's your turn and you need to hear this loud and clear. You've got what it takes. This last week, I was out at Camp Victory with our teenagers and got the chance to preach to them, to speak to these amazing 13, 14, 15-year-old guys and girls and God told me to speak to them about the Father's love, and so I began to just talk to them about how God is their Father, and God loves them, and no matter what dad they've had, whether he's been a good dad or maybe not the best dad, and the truth is there's no perfect dad. The only perfect father there is is the Father in heaven. No one is perfect here. God's not looking for perfect fathers. He's just looking for present fathers, fathers who would just show up and be present. But as I was speaking to them, I could tell the word necessarily wasn't breaking through. And so God said, I want you to just go right into the altar call and ask them this question. And so I did. I said, is there any teenager here who feels like there's a wound in your heart because of what's happened in your life? Or maybe just self-image, things, insecurities. You feel like you just don't have what it takes. 90% of the camp that night responded to the altar call. It was packed all around. I began to pray. And God said, I want you to walk off the stage. And I want you to hug every teenager down at the altar. I want you to give them a big hug. And I want you to say, God loves you and you've got what it takes. And I thought, man, that's strange. I don't know how these teenagers are going to respond. I mean, some of them were really tough. Some of them were kind of talking while I was preaching. Some of them had, you know, just a tough, mean face on. And I began to hug each one. God loves you. You've got what it takes. God loves you. You've got what it takes. Tears begin to stream down these teenagers' faces. The guys who looked so tough begin to break. It was like those small walls were falling down on the inside. Those walls of pride, of insecurity, those walls of feeling I'm not good enough. Those walls of a negative self-image. Those walls of a father wound, unforgiveness, bitterness towards their dad, bitterness towards their mom, bitterness towards their uncle, someone who had hurt them. And as I began to hug them and say, God loves you, you've got what it takes, that room was filled with the presence of God. Tears were streaming down. I haven't seen that, that many tears from teenagers in my life. Seeing that many teenagers just crying, just not caring what anyone else thought. And one boy stopped me. He said, thank you for answering that question. He said, I've been wondering for a long time, do I have what it takes? God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, take courage, Joshua. Be strong. You're going to do this. No one will be able to stop you. Verse 5, he says this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. He says, no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And right there, we think, yes, that's awesome. But we forget the reason why. Here's why no one will be able to stop you. Because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You've got what it takes, not because of you, but because of God. You're not a self-made man. You're a God-made man. And a God-made man can beat a self-made man any day of the week when you know who's inside you who's with you who's for you you've got what it takes 
It's not because of your charisma. It's not because of your family. It's not because of your money. It's not because of your good looks. It's because God, Yahweh, is with you. Jehovah Nisi, my banner, my victory. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I've got what it takes. Joshua had to get this revelation because the walls that he would be facing, the fights that he would be fighting, required a, 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 such a secure and important self-image to know, I've got what it takes because God is my father. God is the father to the fatherless, the defender of orphans, the defender of widows. Every man in this room, you need to know that God is your father. No matter how old you are or how young you are. And he says today, I'm proud of you for being in church. I love you and you've got what it takes because I'm for you and I'm with you and I'm in you. I heard a story about this older man who was getting ready to die. and He had collected all of this artwork, very expensive artwork. And he was selling all of his artwork, doing a huge auction sale. But there was one piece of art that he said, I will not sell this. This must go to my kids. He wrote in his will, my kids can't sell this. No one can take this out of, uh, out of my family. This piece of art is dedicated to my family. It's the most important, most beautiful piece of artwork. It is the masterpiece. And people were walking through the halls of his mansion looking at the art and they saw one that was covered up. It was the piece that would not be sold. He was selling everything in the house except for this one piece. All the money from the, what he would sell would go to his family. But this piece of art must remain in the family. People said, can we see this piece of art? Can you take off the, the curtain and can we just look at it? We just want to see how beautiful it is. And the butler said, okay, okay, I'll show you the masterpiece. I'll show you the masterpiece. That's the masterpiece? Are you sure that's the... No, that's not the masterpiece. No. That's... No. What? Because so many people look at that. They say, no, no, that's, that's average. That's mediocre. That's not that good. But God wants you to look at that piece of art and realize he's written it in his word you are his masterpiece. You are priceless. You are important. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are accepted. You are handsome. You are beautiful. You've got what it takes. Those children knew what their father believed about them, that they were his masterpiece. You need to know today that God believes in you. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, God says you've got what it takes. Number two, what we learned from Joshua is that he had to prepare to win. Keys, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. Prepare to win. Joshua chapter one, verse 10 says, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare. Everybody say prepare. prepare. Joshua said, prepare because three days from now you will cross this Jordan and you will possess the land that God has given you. Prepare to win. Any athlete knows that you don't win the game during the season, you win the game during the offseason. It's how you treat the offseason that determines how well you'll play during the season. If you don't work out, lift, practice during the offseason, you're going to show up to the season, to the game where the fight's actually happening, unprepared. 
A lack of preparation leads to an unwanted destination. If you want to win, you've got to prepare to win. Joshua told his people, get ready, get ready, get ready. We're in a fixed fight. We're going to win, but we've got to prepare to win. We've got to prepare mentally. We've got to prepare spiritually. We've got to prepare physically. We've got to get ready for what God's called us to walk in victory over. God gives Joshua all kinds of commandments. In chapter 2, he tells him to go and spy out the land, see the land that he's given him. So we prepare by getting vision for where we're going. He tells him in chapter 3, prepare, uh, get ready to cross over the river with every inch, every foot. You're getting closer to Jericho. You're getting closer to the dream God's called you to do, chipping away towards the giant. In chapter 5, he, he actually has them all uh, be, be circumcised. As grown men, he says there's some things that have to be cut off from you that, that were in the wilderness, some junk you've been carrying that just won't make it into Jericho. You've got to get rid of, cut off anything that won't make it into the next season of your life. God says prepare because where I'm taking you is different than where you've been. If you want to go where you've never been, you've got to be willing to do some things you've never done. You've got to cut off some toxic stuff. Prepare to win. One of the best things that we see in the Bible in preparing to win, just like parents, you get your kids ready for school, you prepare them for school by putting some clothes on them so they don't run out of the house naked, right? I mean, putting clothes on them is important, but more important than putting on those clothes is putting on the spiritual armor for them to win because kids are going into a battlefield. Teenagers are stepping onto a battlefield every single day. Bullets being shot, grenades going off, bombs being dropped. The media shooting all kinds of agendas at them. Friends are saying all kinds of values to them. Teachers are teaching all kinds of new ideas to them. And if you don't put on the right armor, that enemy is gonna come all out. He's in a desperate attempt right now to take this nation. But I'm saying as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're getting dressed for war, dressed to fight. I need a father and a, and a son to come up here. Garland, come on up here. I need a father. Give these guys a big hand. Father and son duo right here. I've got some armor. These guys are going to show us how to put on the armor. Now, this is, you know, armor that me and John used to get from Children's Church. We've got some armor over here. But God has some real armor for you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and would you go ahead and start getting him dressed for war over here? I hope that armor fits you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, this is what Paul tells the church at Ephesus. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You've got to wear the armor. If you want to win the war, you've got to wear the armor. God's given it to you. He says this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Stop right there. What happened this last week in Charleston was a demonic attack. We are in a spiritual battle right now, and we've got to be prayed up. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your, your peace, your protection in this, in this church and over every believer. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that each day, Lord, we would realize we've got to be wearing that battle, wearing that armor for the battle that we're in. God, I thank you, Jesus, like I said earlier, that you're comforting that church. God, giving them strength, giving them victory. Lord, I thank you again for their example of forgiveness. God, help us all as believers to be prepared for the battle we have to fight. Paul goes on to say this in verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
Sometimes that's all you can do is just keep standing. When you've done everything you know to do, just stand. Fathers, just stand. Mothers, just stand. College students, singles, just stand. Stand there for having girded your waist with truth. We've got a belt over here, and Garland, this belt right here is the belt of truth. I know it's kind of an interesting belt, but this morning, I want you to put that belt around your son. I want you to put the belt around this morning, the belt of truth. Just act like you're putting on the belt of truth this morning. I know you might be thinking, this is strange. I, I don't need it. But listen, that belt, it keeps your pants up so you don't have your pants on the ground. Pants on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. You got to get your belt on because that belt of truth, it holds you fast to God's word, the truth in God's word. Come on, Tony, you know that was a good little joke there. The truth of God's word sets you free from any lie of the enemy. When the devil plants lies and tries to tell you this is the new thing, you gotta do this, the peer pressure that's coming at you, all around you, you put on the truth of God's word. Every day, parents, help your, help your children. If you got kids in the house, help them to get the truth of God's word in their life. The second thing he says is put on the breastplate of righteousness. Go ahead and put on that breastplate of righteousness. You are righteous not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done at Calvary. Jesus stretched his arms out so that you would be forgiven, so that you would be healed of all that sin, all of that shame, all of that guilt and condemnation. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Every day, the enemy's going to try to shoot darts, throwing guilt on you, throwing condemnation on you, but you got to get dressed for war. Prepare to win. The next thing is the shoes of peace. Put on those shoes of peace. Go ahead and just make sure you got your shoes tied. You got to walk in peace. This week, you're going to be, all kinds of things are coming at you. Offenses, people are going to try to get you anxious, worried, stressed. The news is going to try to create fear in your mind. And the enemy wants to use those things to try and stir up a lack of peace in your life. But I'm telling you, we serve the Prince of Peace. Jesus is peace himself. In fact, this week, I didn't get much sleep, in case you didn't notice during this sermon. But I'm telling you, during all, that baby came like a thief in the night. He stole my sleep. But during that whole time, it was like God was giving me peace. You got to wear your peace so that every day when you walk into work, instead of getting angry and offended and always walking around with the short fuse, put on your shoes of peace. I walk in peace with my family. I walk in peace with my coworkers. I walk in peace everywhere I go. He says, lift up the shield of faith. That shield blocks every fiery dart of the enemy. Prepare to win. Lift up your shield. Lift up your shield against the attacks of the enemy. Next, he says, put on the helmet of salvation. This helmet is a helmet that gives you the mind of Christ. Go ahead and make sure your helmet is secure. This guy is a stud champion right here. When you got the helmet of salvation, you say, my, my salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. I think I've got the mind of Christ. I think on thoughts that are praiseworthy. I take captive any thought that's not of God. See, the helmet of salvation, it helps you to win the battlefield of the mind. Make sure you're wearing your helmet every day. And the last piece of armor, thank you, Father, giving it to his son, the sword of the spirit. Now, you know what the sword of the spirit is. It's the word of God. If you want to win, if you want to prepare to win, get in the word. Don't just know the word. God told Joshua, meditate on it day and night. Be sure to follow the word. Only then will your way be made prosperous and successful. If you want to win the war, you got to carry the sword. If you want to win the war, you got to carry the sword. Give these guys a big hand. Thank you. Now, 
There's a reason why I had a father do this for a son. Because fathers, it is our responsibility to help show our kids how to wear the armor of God. How to get them dressed for war. How to prepare them to win on the battlefield of life. Don't just prepare them to win on the athletic court. Don't just prepare them to win on the baseball field. Don't just prepare them to win at the soccer game. Prepare them to win on the battlefield of life. The fight of faith. Show them how to wear the armor. Number three, last point right here. Joshua says this. He, he realizes this fight requires consistency. Consistency brings the breakthrough. Number one, you've got what it takes. Number two, prepare to win. Number three, consistency brings the breakthrough. God told Joshua, I want you to wake up and I want you to walk around that wall. Now, it might feel strange when you do it because people will be looking at you. Why is he walking around the wall with trumpets? and shofars, and people all around him. Oh, praise the Lord. She's okay, thank you, Jesus. You never know what's gonna happen in church at the 11 a.m. service. Praise God, she's good. <laughs> hey, can we just give thanks to God that she's okay? She's smiling. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. I had a feeling something wild was going to happen in this service. God always saves the best for last. You just got to stay tuned in here. Check this out. Here's what happens. He walks around the wall. Okay, God, I walked around the wall. I showed up to church. I planted my seed. I read my Bible. I prayed. God says, do it again. All right, I'm doing it. I taught my kids. I showed them the word of God. I spanked them. God says, do it again. God, I've been praying for healing. Been walking around this, this, this walker on this wheelchair for a long time. Been waiting for my healing. Been praying for it. Praying for a miracle. God says, keep on walking. Keep on walking. Because the more you walk, those walls begin to tremble. Those walls be... See, Joshua knew the more that he was walking, those walls started rocking. Come on, somebody. The more you start walking, the more the... Ashley realized this. The more she walked around that hospital, that baby was coming. Any pregnant woman knows the more you walk, it speeds up that delivery. If you're on a... God's impregnated you with a vision, a dream. You've been wondering, when is this dream going to come to pass? God says, keep on walking. You keep walking till you see the miracle happen. Consistency brings the breakthrough. When you're on the fourth day, and you've been doing this now four days, then you're on the fifth day. God, I've been, I've been walking this thing for a long time. God says, keep, keep on walking, keep on walking, keep on walking, keep on walking. You circle those walls. You go around that room. God, I've been doing everything I know to do. Lord, I've been circling this thing for a long time. God says, you keep on walking. You keep on walking, husband. You keep on walking, wife. Keep on walking, college student. You keep on walking, single. You keep on walking. You keep on walking. Just like Nemo said, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. You gotta keep on walking till the walls fall down. And when you've done everything you know to do, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. God says on the seventh time that you've done this, because seven equals completion, this is a lesson for the church today. 
you're wondering why the breakthrough hasn't happened, it's, it's because God's saying you gotta keep on walking. This is not a one-time fight. This is not a one-night battle. This is gonna be a walk for your life. See, I used to be impressed with people who would start a fight. Now I'm impressed with people who can finish a fight. I wanna be like Paul the Apostle who says, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished my race. And there is a crown that awaits me in heaven because I didn't give up. There's something about a man in this room. When I look at the older men in this room who've got scars, who walk with a little bit of a limp, but you're still walking. You're still, I'm still circling Jericho. The walls are gonna fall. The walls are gonna fall. The walls are gonna fall. You just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. But when is it gonna fall? What time? I wish that God would tell us at what point it's about to happen. So many people miss their miracle because they quit right before the breakthrough. You've been walking for a long time. You just feel like quitting. But it's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. If you only knew this is the final lap for that miracle, you would press in a little bit more. You would persevere through the storm. You'd push through the fire. Joshua said, God, I've been doing this for seven days, and this is the sixth time around the wall. And God says, don't you dare stop at six. Don't you stop at six. You're still standing. Don't you stop at six. Turn to someone next to you and say, don't you stop at six. Don't stop at six. Don't stop at six, because when you come around that seventh time, when you come around that seventh time, when you come around and you lift up a shout of praise, the walls come tumbling down. Church, keep on walking. <laughs>